ticket staff. Woo. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another, well, original back to school. So another episode, though, of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and a very special guest, Elizabeth. Name might sound familiar, Schleter. Where's the applause button? We should have a rousing applause. Tonight to tell us about a beautiful, wonderful, awesome. It's a lot of uh, adjectives. It is organization called Canavox, which some of you might be familiar with, and if not, stay tuned because you will love it. But we are blessed to be with you this evening. Awesome. So, folks, I'm going to start out of the gates with a little bit of EQ. What is that emotional quotient? And it's worth actually looking that term up. My dad was the one who introduced it to me a number of years ago, and since then, studying organizations and even the military, a greater predictor of success than even intelligence quotient, IQ, is EQ, emotional quotient. And I'm only bringing this up because, Steph, right now I'm a little bit bittersweet. I'm a little bit somber um, with Uh the absence of our usual producer behind the board missing we, we have wonderful ron with us tonight which is awesome but wonderful. john paul keith we dropped him off at hillsdale this past weekend um, and are so blessed in so many ways by that amazing institution to hear the opening convocation and the emphasis on the good beautiful and true and formation in this character uh, not just for this world but for the next and we know what that institution stands for no place is perfect but beautifully discerned from john paul and of course of course, my brother, Nathan, is a professor there, his wife with us here tonight, and I would direct our listeners to a really uh, scintillating, engaging episode of Ignite Real Live, number episode 160, with the theme of the hidden dangers of the Disney gospel. We featured Dr. Nathan Schleter and had some fun family banter, but it addressed some key issues, and blessed to have really the brains and the heart of the operation with us tonight, Elizabeth. But anyways, I had to acknowledge, you know, John Paul is our number three, and that means we have three left at home. And, you know, we're experiencing a little bit of that transition with the youngest, Dominic, now 14. The landscape is shifting. And for me to really practice maybe what I preach, and what is that? That our lives are custom-designed retreats to lead us into greater intimacy with God. I'm going to say it again because I need to hear it myself. And maybe for all of you out there, wherever you're at, your circumstances, in your marriage, in your family, whatever is changing, whatever challenges you're facing, I'm saying this because I know God is saying it to me, so I repeat it to you. Our lives right now are part of a custom design retreat, God leading us into deeper intimacy with himself. So before we get to our subject, which is very exciting, um, an announcement. We're excited today to announce that we have a big event coming up October 12th. So mark your calendar. What is that? Encounter Ministries. You may know about them. Father Matthias and Patrick Rice have been doing amazing ministry, solid Catholic ministry, opening up our minds and hearts to understand the fullness of our Catholic teaching with regard to healing, Christ's ministry of healing. They had a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Fearless that documents amazing healings that have taken place when we Call upon the name of Jesus. And of course, this is, as Pope Benedict says, the fundamental work of the church. This is the work of redemption, to heal. And of course, we know the greatest healing is transformation, right? It's conversion. But at these events, they've experienced upwards of 30, 40% of participants have miraculous physical healing. So October 12th, here in the city, um, you can find out more at Encounter Ministries, I'm going to say dot com, Encounter Ministries.com, October 12th, 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. And uh, 
uh, stay tuned for details. It's absolutely free. We know those seats will fill up. In fact, in the first few hours, it was already filling rather quickly. They filled 1,500 people in the Seagate Center in January, and we're blessed to partner with them this next January to double that number at the Seagate Center. So this is a bit of a primer, October 12th. And uh, plan on joining us, 630 to 930, October 12th, the Encounter Citywide Healing Service. So, um, Elizabeth, delighted to have you. Are you still out there? Do we scare you away? Have you hung up already? No, I'm just listening to you. Be amazing. (laughs) You're so kind. So now that uh, Greg did the little We Miss John Paul piece, now I understand a little more um, why you were chosen tonight specifically to be our wonderful guest because you are right down the street from where our son is. So it's kind of like a reaching out, like, oh, we miss you, John Paul. It's called reconnaissance, vetting. is right there. Yes, it's helicopter parenthood at its finest. So we are delighted um, and honored, Elizabeth. You lose him, we get him. That's right. (laughs) But thank you so much for being with us tonight, and we're excited um, so much to hear more about Cana Vox and uh, all that that encompasses. Mm -hmm. But first, we love Great I have to ask to a question me. before we go to that, oh, which I yes. know you're going to go to. Yes. So Nathan, as a professor at Hillsdale, a distinguished professor at Hillsdale, whom I genuinely love as a brother, but have to just banter with, because that's what brothers do, iron sharpening iron. Um, he was asked to um, kick out a minute-long, two-minute-long, talk to the students on a particular subject, and his subject was dating. And because I have film production in me, we set up that I would do this on the morning of John Paul being brought into the dorm. So I captured Nate in the backyard, and I I was introduced to this concept called Hills Dating, which I think is kind of cute. So the first question for you, Elizabeth, is what is Hills Dating? Hills dating is the thing that you hear the young women primarily Mm. complain about, and that is there's a lot of hanging out. It's the Hillsdale version of being good friends, and when a young man and a young woman spend lots of time time together, but there's no kind of definition of the relationship, then Uh their friends will say, oh, they're Hills dating. Uh So someone, you know, you you haven't asked her out really but you're just kind of hanging out a lot, and there's this reluctance to formalize it, mm-hmm. which at Hillsdale is partly due to the fact that a lot of kids have been raised with the I Kiss Dating Goodbye Courtship mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. So for them, you know, some of these kids, the idea is if you're going to ask a young woman on a date, you need to call dad and mm-hmm. ask if you may ask his daughter on a date, which is a very high bar, yep. right? Yep. So I think that kind of keeps the Hills dating alive. It's it's just the Hillsdale reflection of the fact that we've lost a workable and healthy dating script yes. in our culture on college campuses. And most college campuses, that shows up as the hookup culture. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hillsdale luckily doesn't have too much of that, but there's a reluctance to formalize it. There's a reluctance to say, do you want to go out for dinner? I'd love to take you out and get to know you better, right, mm-hmm. which is a date. So when people are just kind of hanging out, but everyone around them can tell there's interest, 
they call it Hillsdale. Dating. Gotcha. So, <laughs> folks, uh, Hillsdale, a uh, campus that has high regard for the Second Amendment, maybe another little trepidation in the hearts of a man wanting to ask the prospective <laughs> girl's dad. Yeah. Anyways, I teach. Um, but, no, it is nice, yeah, I have to say, right. on one end, that there is some anchor there, that this does have a telos, an end in mind, dating. But if it's so super serious um, on one end and the other end is just, you know, uh, capricious or something, I do think we as a culture who um, seek Catholic values and relationships need to reintroduce or discover a godly sense of relationships that don't have such weighty emphasis on, oh my gosh, that means you're going to be going down the aisle half a year from now. But anyway, so right. Nathan, so Nathan um, kicked out this very fun two-minute video, and uh, you can see it on my page, Greg Schleter, Facebook. Um, you could find it probably also on YouTube. I know it's going to be viral. Nate's going to be a dating sensation pretty soon. <laughs> but some real fun comments in there. He's, and one of them was the P, non-physical. He throws it out there because he used all P's except for number five, non-physical. And he says, listen, I've got nothing against physicality. I'm a father of nine kids. Which, you know, so you get some good Professor Nate humor, which I love that about the campus, too, and all the professors whom I have come to meet, that it's, it's, um, it's fully human. It's intention on the principles that are nature, but the humanity is part of that. It's not just a distinct, separate aspect that's woven into it. I digress. I have to ask you a question, though. Since we are on the subject, and it's a nice setting, I think, for the subject tonight, Kane of Ox, I need some fodder for my yeah. brother. What was an interesting dating experience with Professor Nathan Schleter? Oh, what a great question. Well, I'm just laughing because I know <laughs> part of the brotherly ethos between you and Nathan is lots of great arguments. <laughs> yes. And I have to say that... I mean, there are two funny things. One, when Nate and I first met, he claims he asked me to marry him okay. as a joke. Like, he found out, oh, I'm one of seven kids. Oh, you're one of seven kids. Oh, I come from this strong Catholic family. Oh, you do. Oh, I'm studying politics. Oh, you're studying politics. And then he said something like, will you marry me? Wow. And I don't remember <laughs> that. <laughs> but I know that he then, there were mentions of marriage later you know, several more times. So he likes to make it out like he was waiting at my doorstep that for is years, great. which isn't quite the case. Nate did a lot of dating in his in his day, mm-hmm. as you know. Yes. But the one of the markers of our relationship for good and sometimes ill has always been that we love to discuss things and we love mm-hmm. to argue. Yes. So I always <laughs> think of that C. S. Lewis scene in one of the Narnia novels where two of the characters um, I think it's in The Horse and His Boy, the two characters who are friends um, and also kind of rivals, the girl and the boy. At the very end of the novel, Lewis says, they got married so as to go on arguing more conveniently. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like that's yeah. our, our relationship. That's great. But it bears, a lot of, it bears a lot of fruit for us because, yeah. you know, even the dating reflections, on that video came out of me working with Canavox trying to develop a dating session on our syllabus, talking it through with Nate, you know, arguing about, well, what are the, what is the problem? What's the missing link? Why aren't Mm -hmm. kids doing this? What were the problems in the eighties and how are they different from the problems today? You know? And so that's where that came from. And I think Uh that's a big part of our relationship, but it's also, it can also be a big problem. Mm -hmm. One of our most, serious marital fights, sometimes they revolve around 
like once we were screaming at each other over whether, <laughs> this is early in our marriage, over whether the Lord was still physically suffering in the beatific vision, you know, in heaven. <laughs> and and after that argument, I was like, when theology becomes a near occasion of sin for you, you mm. probably have some problems yeah. in how yeah. you're approaching the topic. Yep. <laughs> well, welcome to the so, family, Elizabeth, I'm great. sure, because that people, we mystify many uh, in-laws who uh, marry into the Schleter family and find that Luke, Nathan, and I, and Tobias, others can go on for hours in what seems inane. And I think we've gotten a little bit better, but we do delight in ideas. We delight in conversation. Hopefully some maturity has happened a little bit, maybe 5%. I love that about the Schleters, all of them. Well, delighted to have you with us tonight, Elizabeth. And just for the rest of our, our audience to know. So, Elizabeth, as you heard me say, married to my brother, Nathan, Mother of number nine is on the way here with us, but in the womb. And Elizabeth has a master's degree in undergrad also. I think both of those are from the University of Dallas. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So very um, brings a lot of wisdom and thoughtfulness to her family and to the Schleter clan and very active with all of that as a mother, as a wife uh, in the community through this Canavox thing. But before we uh, unveil this beautiful program, Steph is going to press kind of the question that we hope as mass impact increasingly as a culture we as Catholics will recognize is so critical. With a setting like that, Steph? Yeah, kind of scary. So Greg had mentioned before Revelations twelve eleven, which we love to proclaim that um, They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Mass, and the word of their testimony. And just, it's so good to be able to share and and hear and truly listen to what the Lord has done in each other's lives. And a lot of that is just simply, but yet always profoundly, um, our background story. So Elizabeth, can you give us a little bit of your background and um, kind of an overview maybe and what brought you to where you're at today? Yeah, such a great thing to be asked to reflect on. I think my story, my faith story, is it's not dramatic. It doesn't have a single dramatic conversion, but like it's probably a story that a lot of cradle Catholics from families who bucked the cultural trends in the eighties and seventies share. And that's a story of lots of small conversions Mm -hmm. over a long period of time and a beautiful, beautiful gift of faith, you know, from my parents. So, but as I was thinking about it, I thought, what were the strengths? So my parents were, there was a critical moment for them. I know they were married 1971. And you think about the church back in 1971, you've got Roe v. Wade on the horizon, Mm -hmm. and you have complete confusion about sexuality within the church, Mm -hmm. especially when it came to marital sexuality and whether or not artificial contraception was going to be accepted or not. And they, uh, they have a great story that I only learned later, that those first two years of their marriage... You know, my dad was in law school, they were young, they thought that they shouldn't have children right away, and they, I, I think my mom was on the pill, they practiced artificial contraception. Mm. They were uncomfortable with it. They knew that the, the official teaching said no, but they didn't really understand why. 
And they prayed about it, and then at a certain point, two years in, they decided, you know what, we know the church is right on most things. Maybe this will get changed, but we're just going to make an act of faith, and we're going to follow what the church says Mm -hmm. here, even though we don't fully understand it. And now knowing what I know, I think that was a critical move that laid the foundation to pass on the faith to their children. Mm -hmm. Not that that was all they had to do, but I think there's an intimate connection when we follow God in these most intimate areas of our lives, especially in our culture with sexuality and marriage. If we really are willing to submit to Him in these areas, then the life of the faith blossoms in the family. And even though kids can deny it or run away, it's given to them in this beautiful way. And I really felt like I benefited from that. I didn't know that story till many years later. But I knew, you know, the faith, my parents had two markers of their family culture. They they really did think that faith and reason go together, Mm -hmm. and they sent that very Catholic message. And later, you know, they found Janet Smith and the arguments, and and, and then it made sense why the church Mm -hmm. taught this. But they made that sort of obedient, following Christ act early on in their marriage. They also had this sense that Catholic culture built around the sacraments. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking Revelations 12, 11, Blood of the Lamb and the Mass. They really did try to orient their family life around the feasts of the Church, the celebrations of the Church, in this really organic way. And they got that from my mother's family, mm-hmm. who worked really hard so to beautiful. do that. So that was a beautiful, beautiful gift to me and sustain my faith. Now, I did go to parochial school all through the 70s and 80s and parochial high school, and that was not, as you know, not always a real, you know, sometimes that was counterproductive to the faith in those days. Mm -hmm. But um, later, I think if there was a weakness in my family culture, it was a lack of awareness of the fact that ultimately it's not about the culture, although it is about the grace, it's not about the doctrine and the reasons and the truth, as excited as I always have been about those things. It really is about your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Mm. It really is a relationship with a person at the mm. heart of the faith. And that was something that later my time at UD really helped to emphasize. My master's program was just beautifully done in theology. Father Mitch Pacwa was a part of it. Mm. Douglas Bushman, um, and these other great teachers who really brought home a kind of integration for me Mm. with emphasizing the personal. And I think knowing your family, Greg, I think the charismatic movement brings that um, and emphasizes it, and it's very important. So no, no single, you know, the Lord has saved me, I guess, from the most dramatic stories, you know, Mm -hmm, where you really mm -hmm. lose the faith and come back. I'm really a cradle Catholic who was just given all of this. And now as an adult, I'm so grateful, and I just hope and pray that we can pass it on to our children. So that would be... That would be my story. Lots of many... That's powerful, and it's clear. And I, I, as you were speaking... um, it occurs to me with greater clarity the idea that the power of eternity inheres 
in physical reality. And your parents espousing those truths, that obedience of Christ in the Garden in Gethsemane, let's face it, where faith really matters, when it maybe doesn't make sense, um, or, and we're maybe dark night or desert, and let's face it, in the culture today, uh, what is very accessible to us is if it feels good, do it. Why not? I can, I can cover for the consequences of sexuality through contraception. So to follow the church is my point, which is the power of eternity and hearing in our physicality, whether our kids know it or not, whether it makes sense or not, contributes to an atmosphere of encounter. It contributes to an atmosphere of strength. And I think there's a lot of truth, not just a lot of truth, I think it's a truth we often overlook. And even in the Schleter home, so my parents I know from day one uh, follow the yeah. church's teachings in that regard. And I can't tell you that I was able to clearly articulate Humanae Vitae and Paul VI and understanding contraception back then. But it was in the water we drank. It was, in the yeah. air we, it was in the air we breathe, and it formed the way we think about the world and think about life that sociologically, even outside theology, sociologically demonstrates to be a good for the human person now and through eternity. So it's such a good thing for all of you folks who are listening and all of us to recognize, number one, we're going to face challenges in church teaching that go counter to what sometimes makes sense and what is easy. But over time, it's demonstrated to be powerful and true. And by parents accepting that truth, um, it does have an effect not simply on us, but in our children's lives, in their formation. So thanks so much for sharing that. So, Elizabeth, the big question of the hour, what is Canavox? (laughs) Great. Well, Canavox and the name, which is a little confusing, comes from Wedding at Cana, right? Mm-hmm. Marriage, reference to marriage, and vox, the Latin word for voice. Mm-hmm. And the idea is voice for marriage. So Cana Vox was founded in 2013. Fairly it's relatively recent. young. It's a grassroots marriage movement meant built around reading groups in homes. That's really the heart of what mm. we do. And we're not Catholic or any particular faith. We try to be truly ecumenical, although one of our principles is religious freedom. We're very dedicated to religious freedom, and we mm-hmm. think it's under threat, you know, after right. the Obergefell decision. But the other unique thing about Canavox is in 2013, this is like the height of the debate about same-sex marriage going on state by state in the United States. And just like Roe v. Wade, that debate gets sort of shut down by the Obergefell decision in 2015. Mm -hmm. But that debate, the insight was in 2013, there were seven mothers and one really impressive marriage activist named Doug Mainwaring who got together, were brought together by the Witherspoon Institute in Princeton, New Jersey. And they were meeting, there was this idea born, look, we've got people out there on the, you know, political activists, We've got the think tanks talking about this. People are, are you know, the, the, the discussion is often really acrimonious. That's, we need an organization that's going to seed the grassroots. Mm. It's not political. Mm. It's not about getting the political message out there. It's about taking people who already agree on traditional sexual morality and the conjugal definition of marriage is one man, one woman for life, and help them support each other and understand more deeply 
the reasons why they think these things. Mm. And the reasons, for most people involved in Canavox, they have a very strong faith, right? Right, There are many Catholics. They tend to be very Orthodox, conservative Catholics. There are many evangelicals Mm. who are very strong in their faith. There's a Jewish liaison. There's even a Muslim liaison. There are people of, of no faith as well. But in general, the people who attend our reading groups tend to be of a strong faith. But the Canavox angle is, let's get the best social science research in a short article, the best natural law philosophy argument for true marriage, the best personal stories Mm -hmm. about marriages that are self-sacrificial and endure, and let's put those together for people so they can see these natural reasons that support what they may know by faith or by what the Bible teaches or by what the Church says. That's awesome. And so it's a complement to faith. Um, And again, our reading groups are like a book club, right? Most of the groups meet monthly. We started out with eight um, state leaders leading groups in six states. And this year we have 257 leaders across the United States in 37 states and actually 27 countries. There's a whole Spanish-speaking arm of Canavox that's really um, booming. So that's the the idea. And what we read in our reading groups is an online syllabus. Anyone can access it. And if you just go to canavox.com and you look up our reading list, you'll see the syllabus. And it's organized by topic. So it's marriage, which was our defining topic. Mm-hmm. But also we recognize all these things that contribute to a healthy marriage culture or a destructive marriage culture, right? So things like dating, things like um, same-sex attraction, things like um, the hookup culture, Um, some things that are destructive and some things that are constructive. We have a session on adoption. We have a session on marital intimacy. We have a session on marital communication, right? And we put together these really, we've curated these short readings and videos that are the best we think we can find that hit these angles of of natural law, philosophy, and social science, and personal stories. We try and make it easy for busy people, and it's often women, though it doesn't have to be, often mothers, um, to study these things and discuss them together. And again, not debate each other. It's not a place where... It's not the Schleter house. Invite... Yeah, yeah, we try. It definitely does have some debate involved. But the, when we invite people, the idea is, you know, we have these seven principles that we're committed to, including marriage, religious freedom, parental rights to raise and educate your own children, these kinds of things. And we ask our participants to commit to these seven principles. And then, you know, there's a lot of room for discussion and and understanding more deeply why we think these things and knowing what's going on in the culture. Like for me as a mother, Canavox was a huge um, gift in terms of equipping me to talk to my own children and to know what the college campus culture is like right now Mm -hmm. before I send my kid, right? Or get some tips and things from other mothers on how to do sex education in the home well. Mm -hmm. Um, Or what is the 
state of sex ed in the public schools right now and what's going on out there. You know, Canavox gives this wonderful quick primer on that. So that's been a great gift to me, and I know it has been to a lot of people who've been involved over the years. And I love, I mean, obviously we embrace our faith, right? But I'm sure you are able to reach so many people, even though you're predominantly... um, have a practicing faith group there, but who may not be there or to be able to explain to people these uh, specific topics outside of the group in a, in a uh, different angle than faith, like you said. And that has to be a powerful, effective way because too often we've just, you know, settled with, even though it is the truth that that should just be, our explanation instead of really diving in and being able to explain it to others from that angle. But also I think to come to a much deeper appreciation of ourselves and our understanding of these different topics. Yes. And that is, and I mean, it's a blessing as well as a Catholic because that's such a Catholic idea. The truth is one. Yes. Right. And so, um, but it is a practical reality of our form of government that if you're going to go to your local city council meeting and argue against, uh, you know, a new ordinance about discrimination based on gender identity, you can't come in there and talk about the church's latest document on that. You've got to go in there with social science statistics, et cetera. And again, and Canavox is not truly directed towards pushing people out into those roles. Right. It's really about one-to-one, let's get back to basics. Let's, let's, you know, we've never lived in a time where such basic things as marriage or one's sexual identity have been challenged in this way. Mm-hmm. So things that previous generations never had to think about the reasons why this is the case. It was obvious to them. We have to come up with the reasons. You mm-hmm, know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why do we have separate sex bathrooms? Right, right. So um, Canavox is, done, is doing great sort of, again, seeding the grassroots. And if people take that to their local school board, we think that's great. Um, but we're also about building community because Hillsdale's different. Um, you know, some communities are really rich with many people who embrace a sexual morality that is true and leads to human flourishing. But many places in the country are deserts, and you can feel like you're the only one, Mm, you know, who thinks that marriage should be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. And so Canavox allows you to have a safe space where you're not being attacked Mm -hmm. online, you know, or you're on a political hot seat where you can see, oh, I'm not the only one, and here are some more reasons I hadn't thought about, or here are some more tips on how to approach my friend or my colleague who totally disagrees with me on this in a loving way. Um, so that, that's another, it's like throwing a lifeline to people who are living often on the coast. Right, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just don't have any community that thinks anything, that, you know, that, that agrees with any of these things about um, what kind of sexual morality is going to make for happy families and marriages and people. Mm-hmm. So that's another important well, I, mission. I love how it uh, uses the word cheerful 
on your website and throughout the uh, <laughs> yes. the explanations of things, right? I mean, so I'm too so often people just yeah. associate these things with kind of... Yeah, curmudgeons. That's a fun word. I'll use it. Curmudgeons, right? Like we're the, the serious or puritanical or in your face or whatever. But from seeing the pictures on the website and even having read through the stuff, you can't help but see that sense of joy and the word is cheerful and how you're cheering for these good things. So go ahead and uh, speak to that, Elizabeth. Oh, Stephanie, thank you. I really wanted to emphasize that and I hadn't done it. So you're you're just coming to my rescue. I'm cheering for you. Yes. yes. Do it. Do that it. was the other that was the other founding insight was okay, we've got people out in the political arena and we could always use more of those. We've got activists, but we we need your or, you know the ordinary man on the street is so discouraged and woman how can we help build people up and with a long-term vision, you know, who knows right where the truth will uh, when the truth will finally win out, mm. it might not be in our lifetime, but we can we can certainly try and bring it to our own lives. And so one one um, we try very hard not just to make it a complaining session about the state of things, which right. we all know that can happen very yes. easily when you're talking about the state of marriage culture and sexuality today. And so our groups will do different things. You know, they'll try. Often there's a resolution at the end. So, for instance, if you're talking about divorce, which is one of the sessions and is still a huge um, uh, issue for marriage today, right. what's one thing we can each do in our marriages to, awesome. now that we've learned about some of the factors that lead to this and some of the sort of patterns that are seen, what's one thing that we can do to counteract it in our own lives? And that is a that's a great thing to bring mm-hmm. people back to looking at their particular circumstances um, or mm-hmm. marital communication, which is a huge, right? I mean, right. That is a really important right. session. The, the longer you're married, I used to poo poo words like communication. Not anymore. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, people are complex. Right. Everyone needs help. None of us are perfect. You know, we all have our sins and character flaws, and there is some great stuff in there from psychology and marriage counseling about communication that's very helpful. And then things like how do we love those who are and and help those who are broken by the marriage culture or harmed by it? None of us are going to be untouched by that. Um, you know, none of us are untouched by that. Even if our own marriages are intact, you know, we've got to be ready to be nurses in the <clears throat> in the field hospital mm-hmm. on these you, things. As you say, Elizabeth, and to truly be loving. Yeah. Just as you say, um, we discover in our connections both in this community and beyond how the quote-unquote best of Catholics who go to Mass, who educate their children under the roof and are very intent on that, who are trying to follow the guidelines that God gives us and believe it and know it. But what you just described is absolutely true. And what is that? That there's a sense of alienation that can exist uh, between spouses and family members. And, um, right. and you know, th- there's, there's a model, if you will, there's a norm of not just 
thriving but just surviving and many couples find themselves a year five years ten years at a retreat recently steph and i did these were superstar in the game catholic leaders who are amazing they're the ones that are lecturing and in the choir and doing all these things but in the personal interactions that we had some of the couples acknowledged that they had not communicated meaningfully in years and they recognize yeah. just the hierarchy idea that God first, because I can't give to my wife if I don't have a meaningful, committed relationship to God. And ask the question just at that level, how many of us really have a committed uh, time of encounter with God every day? And then spouses, and then, of course, the family. But are we really empathetic, that building block of love, John Paul II, love and responsibility? Could I say right now, articulate um, as much as I can, the emotional or world of my wife such that I can care for it, such that I can own it and, and, and intuit it? Or am I so invested in my world, as good as it is, you know, working hard and making money right. to pay the bills, which is great and it's important, but is there that deeper level? And if not, here's the thing, I'm depriving myself of the, the, God, the transcendent grace pouring forth that Christ revealed by dying to myself, being attuned to the life of another. And I'll even say this, in our home, uh, we love our kids. We're hardly perfect, but the constant challenge to say, how much are we attuned to the needs of another person? How much are we attuned such that we're out of our own navel-gazing and wanting to be instruments of God's grace? So I'm saying this, that these women are gathering together at that basic level to have an occasion of encountering God alive in communication, dare I say, the heart of holy communion, to become one. The communication is absolutely essential. So I have a question for you. Over time, as you have similar couples week after week, maybe month after month and year after year, how concretely are you seeing, uh, in your sense, or maybe you have actual evidence, them growing as married couples and families in an ongoing way? Mm, what a great question. Um, first, I just want to say how important it is what you and Greg are do- what you and Steph are doing. I mean, everything depends on marriage and family, and ultimately, marriage and family do depend on faith lived out. And so, I just think that what Canevox does is a total complement to that. Um, now, we do not have a couples group here. There are some couples groups around the United States. Um, and there also are a few men's groups. Some of them call themselves Manavox. Oh, I like <laughs> so it. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be mother. <laughs> I really like. That. Um, but but it's really the all of the leaders, except for right now. There's one man leader. There's usually like one or two. There's they're so cute. They're just such strong personalities. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, our current male leader from Washington State is a youth leader and does lots of amazing work in his very large church with um, the youth, especially the young men, and he brings a great perspective. But anyway, just to clarify that, that you don't have to be a mom to be in Canavox, but that has been the driving force, Mm. you know, from the beginning. There's something about that feminine genius um, connected to what you said, Greg, that focus on the person. I think women, especially mothers, have an intuitive sense that destructive sexual culture and marriage culture hurts people, mm-hmm. and they see that, they get that, so they're, they're tuned into that. But as to your question, so I don't have a, a, a good view on the couples in our group, but I do know that the women, and the vast majority of them are married, definitely bring 
they will often say, you know, we really gain from each other, supporting each other. And one of the principles of a Canavox group, although it's not meant to be a, a sharing group or a counseling group, we do uh, pledge to kind of what, what's said in the group stays in the group. And they really do. They're so grateful for that sort of friendship and support to sort of you can show your vulnerability and your struggle and yet you can be supported. Mm. And that I, can, so I know I've heard many, many people. And also they're supporting other people who aren't in the group, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about divorce, and it causes you to think of that friend that you're worried about mm. where you know their marriage is on the rock. Mm. And what can my husband and I do to help that friend? What's our calling right now with regard to that friend? So it just puts it front and center on your map. Um, and I do think there's been growth there. I couldn't measure it. Sure. That's awesome. You know, again, it's, it's not as intense or personal as a faith-sharing couples group, but I do think it, it helps to build people up. Mm. It helps them to think about, yep. you know, so we have a session on um, sex education. Going through that session, every single, or session on pornography, right, which is affecting every family. I don't care who you are. That's something, if you haven't talked about it in your family and how you're going to handle it and talked about it as a couple and talked about it with regard to your children, you're not, you you know, you're being blind. And so talking about that in our Canavox group immediately affects those couples and families. They go home. And they're like, what kind of, what are we do? What, what are our rules and what kind of filters we have? And they said this works. And, you know, so it, it does have this ripple effect. I mean, related to what you say, my little sister, Margot, who's the one who got me involved in Canavox, really, she was involved first. And when she told me about it, I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Mm, I yes. want to get involved with that. I was kind of jealous. And so I did, you know, the next, she got me involved in a virtual group. And then, then I started a group here, but she likes to say the fact that we're living in such dark times with regard to marriage and sexuality has a silver lining. And the silver lining is there's no coasting. Mm. There's really no surviving. You've got to really have a great marriage mm. to have one at all. Mm. You've really got to work on this. And, and I think that being in a Kinevox group brings that before your eyes. You see, oh, I can't just, you know, in the 19, when the divorce rate was uh, less than 50% and there weren't all these problems, maybe you could just get along and the culture would uphold you. Well, not anymore. You know, we've got to really be alive. Mm -hmm. It's 50 shades of black. There's really not 50 shades of gray when you look at these things and you see the lines traced. So, yeah. you know, her take on it is if you've got a marriage at all, it's got to be great. Mm. Yes. <laughs> There's no room for mediocrity. Yeah. Right. You know, Elizabeth, I think um, what this speaks to, which I think is absolutely critical, 
uh, is, first of all, say a story is an anecdote to convey it. In the last 30, 40 years, we have had a proliferation of amazing powerful transformational programs in the Catholic Church, weekend retreats and conferences and all of that sort of thing. And I do believe um, the best of them do have a semblance of articulation of truth, shall we say. It's, it's not just emotive and experiential, which does have an important place. It does have an important place. Some of them do have a semblance of articulation, catechetical foundation to make sense of things. But I think the danger in the last maybe three, four, five years in youth ministry, it's been written about extensively, is in, in a simple phrase, and Chesterton cloned, cloned this term or phrase, love as a shape. It's not just, I come to this meeting and I feel this thing, and you're bringing shape, you're bringing definition to the road. You're bringing some clarity on the level of the intellect, you know, the transcendentals, the good, beautiful, true in one. Absolutely, it's the beauty that captures our hearts and opens us up to the sense of wonder. But I think the human person, and I even the married person, or those seeking to be married, increasingly, I think, is a recovery and maybe via negativa, and by that I mean people who've tried to go their own ways and crash into the wall and the berms and they're really hurt, there's an emerging sense that, no, there is a shape of the road, and if we follow this shape, if we understand this shape, it's going to be for the good of my marriage, it's going to be for the good of our family, and, uh, and, and you know, so I guess I want to ask you a question in this form. What are the roadblocks that you see, whether brought in by these women or the, um, what they experience? And I imagine that a big uh, roadblock to this um, beautiful plan that we have in marriage and faith is the supreme dogma in culture today of tolerance and judgment. Those words, tolerance Mm -hmm. and judgment, which I think are ill-conceived, by the way. And just a word, of course, the catechism from a Catholic perspective, 1778, conscience is a judgment of reason whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he's going to perform. Um, So we get that. And tolerance, well, folks, I really press all of us to think about this simple truth. Toleration of falsehood is intolerance of truth. Toleration of falsehood is intolerance of truth. But how are you battling with some of those fundamental, shall I, shall we say, toxic ideas that people are so ready to rally around and just tolerate everything? And by the way, don't judge mm-hmm. because we're all good. How do you address that? And is right. that, do you find that monster lingering there? Absolutely. You put it very well. And of course, that's related to love. Right. There's this false assumption about love, that love is just affirming whatever the person wants. Right. And the truth is that the truth is a great gift that makes us happy. Once we know the truth, then we can live it, and we flourish. We're happy. And the insight, I think, in Canavox is, look, if that's true, if it's true that Real marriage, conjugal marriage, is the best thing for kids and is the best thing for spouses to flourish, then there's going to be evidence of that. And, mm-hmm. and I do think in our culture, as much as we have information everywhere, it is true. It's not a conspiracy necessarily, but you know, there's always a political angle to things, and there is a lot of evidence of the truth that doesn't make it into people's hands. And I have found that to be helpful with, with mm-hmm. Canavox. Like, what is the, if, if there's evidence that true marriage is good for kids, 
and good for spouses, there's going to be some social science evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there is, in fact. The word right? became flesh. If it's true, if it's true that um, the hookup culture is going to make you miserable, there's going to be evidence of that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the most convincing argument there is. People want to be happy. Mm-hmm. They can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. We're built that way. And so the more you can put before people the best evidence we have, and, and that's one reason why the personal story angle is really important in Cana Box. Um, we try to pair an argument, a good philosophically sound argument, with social science or medical science, right? Um, but we also try to add a personal story that puts flesh on the bones, where someone is saying, look, I thought the hookup culture was going to empower me and make me happy, and it was horrible, and let me tell you why, mm. right? Do you guys do that through the so video think, segment? Say again, sorry? That's okay. Do you guys do that through the, a video? Do you share the personal story through a video? Often or is we it- do. Sometimes that particular example I just gave you is a, um, an article. Okay. Um, so in our hookup culture session... Um, the personal element mm. is an article by a young woman. Um, and again, everything on our syllabus is available online. Most of it we did not produce. It's mm. public do- domain, and we just curated it and put it together for You for did all group. the hard work for everybody. Yes. yes. Now, we do produce some things, but um, when we see that there's just a need or a gap here and we need to explain something more clearly or pull something together... But that article I'm referring to is just this very powerful article called um, I Thought Casual Sex Would Be Empowering, But It Was the Opposite. Mm. And it's just a young woman. She makes no reference to uh, religious faith, though nothing she says is contradictory to it. Mm-hmm. And her final argument is, I discovered through painful personal experience that the only way to engage in um, sexual intercourse in a way that wasn't demeaning to me as a woman was in marriage. Mm-hmm. Right? Ding, <laughs> ding, 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 argument, ding, right? right. So yes. It's pieces like that that, again, they're not, we know the faith gives us a depth of the truth that wouldn't be accessible to us just by our reason. Right. But converging and convincing reasons can go a long way towards getting people to see what maybe they wouldn't just accept on faith, mm-hmm. right? So that is, I think you're, you're really on to something, Greg. Um, the reading list, there that is the different yeah. topics, pardon me for interrupting. Um, you know, you had mentioned a number of them from pornography to intimacy to the hookup culture, et cetera, et cetera. But also I uh, love that you guys address um, issues that, many people don't have a whole lot of information or um, background on such as donor conceived children and IVF Mm. and um, egg harvesting. And those I know even have come up recently in our own family. And I struggled. I mean, we certainly know the morality of it, right? But to have the information at our fingertips like that to kind of go to um, is amazing. 
With the time we have left, and folks, we're blessed to have you with us. Tune in to Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and our wonderful guest, my beautiful sister-in-law, who's keeping my brother out of hell. Uh, boy, I'm being a little harsh on him. <laughs> wow. Elizabeth, mother of, of <laughs> nine, uh, coming soon. Anyways, I want to read a few stats, and Elizabeth, I want to just give you a little space of listening to these stats, and maybe we have to have you back, of course. But impart upon us at the end of my sharing these stats, um, uh, principles perhaps that you think are most important. What are two or three foundational principles that you might encourage married people either in crisis or in good relationships? What are three you know, foundational things that are going to help them, as you indicated a few moments ago, not just you know, survive but thrive? So, folks, here's a portrait of where we're at right now. Seven-plus hours a day of discretionary time with electronic media. Porn exposure, 93% of boys and 63% of girls before age 18. The average age of viewing porn is at age 11. So it's a bit of the porn stats. Um, Regarding behavior, the average number of sex partners, get this, folks, 9.7 for college men and 7.1 for college women. The average number of sex partners. Percent of marriages where one or both spouses admit to infidelity, either physical or emotional, 41%. Two-thirds of college students, two-thirds, have been in friends with benefits relationship, citing lack of commitment required as the main advantage only 10 to 20% endure. In fact, 65% of these report unreciprocated feelings. So with that as a small portrait of where this culture is at profoundly, in my mind, it punctuates the theme that Pope John Paul the Saint II had said, and that is the ultimate drama is one of alienation versus participation. That at the heart of our culture, woven even into our lives, maybe not directly, but indirectly through marriages, families, people we go to work with, is a deep yearning for intimacy, for authentic union, of which all of this portrait that is around us and pumped through the media and social media meant to divide, meant to cause alienation. To me, that's the platform of the battle that we're all in, which marriage exists to punctuate what? Love of God, the Trinity, mutual self-giving of husband and wife, not just for ourselves and our children, but to the world. So, Elizabeth, with your experience of interacting with these women, what are some very strong encouragement themes you might impart on us? Mm. Wow, yeah, those are, I mean, number one, simply knowing the lay of the land, right, as you just read it. And that, if it stops there, it can be incredibly depressing. But it's important. It's important. We can't have our heads in the sand. We have to know that the fight for the marriage culture, although some people are called to be political about it and some people are called to be activists, that fight is taking place in our homes, Mm. person by person. And no one is safe. No one has the wagon circled tight enough to not be affected. So just knowing the lay of land, and, and, and um, that's incredibly important, mm. too, starting with yourself and your own marriage, mm. right? Mm. Model, model, model. I mean, porn is a great example. When it comes to porn, I remember early in our marriage, and, and this came about through talking with other couples before I ever knew about Cinevox, right? But it's the community that helps bring these things home especially those of us whose marriages were young during the age where the Internet... I mean, we forget how young 
the internet porn industry mm-hmm. is. It is incredibly young. We're the guinea bit pigs, and then our millennial kids right. are the guinea pigs. And I'll never forget that insight where I realized, you know, taking good, healthy precautions against porn is not just to protect my kids. Mm-hmm. It's also to protect my own soul, my own ability to love my own marriage. Right. And you got to send that message to your kids. Like, it's not mm-hmm. just, you know, we're going to do this for you because we're protective as parents. you got to model that behavior. You have to model that your whole life you're going to mm-hmm. have to be prudent right. about making decisions that are going to protect your ability to love. As you say, protect your ability to be intimate with the Lord and intimate with other people. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, um, nothing is irreversible. Mm-hmm. Nothing Amen. is totally I lost. That. I mean, there's a way in which the worst stories of this culture can turn into the best stories because people are ultimately not satisfied with the gruel that mm-hmm. the sexual revolution has fed us. It doesn't make us happy. Mm. And once people come face-to-face with that and they get past the lies about if it feels good, do it, and you will be happy, the promises, the false promises, mm-hmm. there can be a natural conversion there that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And there is a reason, I mean, John Paul II, his insight, Theology of the Body, there's a reason why there's a connection between our sexuality and our faith. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. that connection that I saw at the, the beginning of my parents' marriage, we're built for self-gift. We're built, as you said, for communion, for intimacy, for spiritual intimacy. And our, our sexuality just points to that. And so when people have that kind of a natural conversion, when they come to the end of the road and they hate their porn addiction or they, they hate the results of their infidelity, they, they mm-hmm. feel... You know, again, they're sick and tired of it. Great things can happen. Mm. So even on a natural level, I think there's, there's powerful conversion and turnaround possible, even beautiful. in the worst aspects of this culture. So there's so hope. Beautiful. There's beautiful. a lot of hope. Beautiful. Um, Folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. So blessed to have you with us tonight, hearing some very authentic and powerful uh, words on this program from Elizabeth Schleter on Cana of Ox. You can find out more at canavox.com. And uh, I know we're really interested in this area, folks. If you're interested in this, contact us, Greg and Stephanie. Maybe we can get some of this going in the Toledo area, greg at massimpact.us. Let's just close in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Make us open, Lord, to an awareness of your grace and power overflowing to us, to our marriages and families, and the world. We pray amen. Amen. Amen.